Welcome back, everybody, to Drive Into the Basket, part of the Basketball Podcast Network. I am Mike, joined, as always, by Dante and Tommy, and this will be our trade deadline special episode. Recording this about 45 minutes after the deadline, which fell at around uh, 3, well, actually exactly at 3 o'clock Eastern on Thursday the 10th. So, got a lot to talk about today. Uh, but first, fellas, how you doing? How you feeling? I know it's been a, a not-so-exciting last couple of days. Yeah, I mean, a couple things happened in the NBA today. Yes, indeed, they did. We could probably start there and, and, and say that. Some things that affect the Pistons, some things that don't, but definitely a lot to talk about, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. I'm just relieved that the fan uh, that the front office made a move because I think if we didn't do anything, there might have been riots. Yeah, <laughs> truthfully yeah. speaking. And you know what's funny? Know. I'm still a little, I, I like I we'll get into it, but like I'm I'm pretty disappointed. So. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we'll just go straight into the hot ticket subject, and that is the Pistons trading for Marvin Bagley from Sacramento. The Pistons sent out Josh Jackson, who was on an expiring deal. They sent out Trey Lyles, who, of course, the Pistons just signed this last summer and is on a one and one deal, one and one uh, with a team option. And a couple of second round picks. Uh, first was Sacramento's 2024 second round pick, which the Pistons got in the DeLon Wright for Corey Joseph deal. The second was the 2023 second round pick, which is the worst of Cleveland or Golden State, which they got from uh, in the Andre Drummond deal. Uh, so the last vestiges of Andre Drummond are finally gone from this organization. <laughs> and yes, that's good. So Marvin Bagley, what do you think, Tommy? I was excited. I didn't think that the Pistons were going to stick with the uh, center rotation that they had. I was really hoping that they would add something in the way of vertical spacing or a lob threat, really. It's something that I've been complaining about for months at this point. And I figured it was probably going to be Bagley or Mitchell Robinson just based on yeah. the rumors and from what I read earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we were doing it for a couple months, so very happy. Yeah, th- like this needed to happen, let's be honest. I, I, it's This roster was not functional, and I'm not saying that Marvin Bagley instantly makes it, you know, some uh, perfectly synchronous roster, but at the very least now we have somebody who could jump higher than I can, uh, which I think is, is, is pretty good. And then when you look at it too <laughs> – we didn't give up, obviously, really anything at all. Uh, I think we're all kind of aware of how we feel about Josh Jackson on this show. He's He's got kind of a weird place in, like, Pistons fans' hearts, I think. Maybe that's just an online thing. I think people sympathize with him because he's, like, from around the area. But he uh, – Josh Jackson's not good. Um, and then I don't know if this is news to anybody, but Trey Lyles is also not good. But I will be a little complimentary of him because he grew on me a tiny bit. I thought he was definitely playing above – uh, the the caliber of player that he actually is uh, this past stretch. And that may be what enabled us to get this trade done uh, with minimum outgoing. Um, so we're not giving up a whole ton. We're bringing back some potential. I think this is, if I had to grade it, I'd give it an A probably. Yeah, Josh Jackson, uh, I know that uh, that he is liked in some quarters because of his attitude. Yeah. You know, he's, yeah he's from Detroit. He's a hardworking guy. Uh, he's definitely gritty. Uh and sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's bad. He got, uh, didn't he, I think he got two texts from the bench in the space of like 10 minutes earlier, yeah, <laughs> not so long yeah. ago, but yeah, yeah, whatever the case, uh, unfortunately not a functional NBA player. If he could develop a good three point shot, that would be, you know, he would become a good athletic three and D wing. I mean, athletic three and D wings will always have a place in the NBA period. That is a very valuable player archetype. Unfortunately, Josh Jackson is very far from a good shooter. Mm-hmm. And if he could shoot, you could forgive all of his other weaknesses, like his, his low basketball IQ, his tunnel vision, his poor passing. And uh, like he improved as a willing passer this year, but he was still a bad one. 
but he can't shoot. So uh, I think that was it was a really good it, it was a good swing by the front office. It's a swing you take every time on a potential oh, good sure. talent. For it sure. And fitting, funny, funny enough, sorry to interrupt you, Mike, but funny enough, it's sort of it's sort of reminiscent of bringing Josh Jackson in in the first place. You know, it's along mm-hmm. the lines of that same type of reclamation project as it pertains to someone with very, very high draft pedigree. So I, I would categorize Bagley as probably, I've said this before, he's, he's basically the modern day Darko. Um, but we're not the ones who picked them. <laughs> like we're we're trading like not that much for him. So like I'm you could he could have been the first overall pick uh, that Sacramento traded like six future first to trade up. I don't care. He's here now. We didn't pay a hefty price for him. Let's see what he's got. Absolutely, and I agree with you about Trey Lyles. He has been playing fairly well lately. We still can't shoot, but he was attacking closeouts very well and getting a lot of points there. Whether just from scoring or from getting and ones, it seems like the guy got two or three and ones a game. So. Uh, he did an admirable job during the closing stages of his not very long at all tenure with the Pistons, and I wish him well. And maybe he'll see some minutes with the Kings. I suspect he will see some minutes with the Kings. So, but in terms of what the Pistons gave up, yeah, this is basically them giving up a 2024 pick from Sacramento. That's that's about it. That that 2023 again is the lower between Golden State and Cleveland. Both of those teams would really need to self destruct in order for that pick to not fall in the 50s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mike or Dante, you made a great point about uh, the Kings. Maybe they don't make this deal if Trey Lyles doesn't have this really nice stretch for the over the past month or two. Yeah. Uh, because for whatever reason, the Kings are going to be the Kings, and they are in win now mode functionally. Like they're trying to do something. I don't know if their goal is to make the play in or the eighth seed or what, but they're just trying to do good things. Or yeah, I shouldn't even say that. They're trying to win basketball games down. Well, the they're stretch. not tanking. They're not tanking. Yeah, exactly, right? which they should. But anyway, I'm I'm a big fan of taking uh, struggling players from bad organizations because sometimes you can just you can turn them into gold. Like a good organization will get the most of a player. I think the Pistons are actually trending towards uh, becoming a good organization with a good developmental culture. So you don't mean that you don't think the Kings are a good organization with a good developmental culture? (laughs) I mean, let's be honest, honest, my guy. Yeah, let's be honest here. The Kings are the Pistons if they had been even worse during these last like. during the period during which they were trying to compete, the yeah the Kings yeah. have one of the worst owners in basketball. Uh, it's uh, I think I might have misspoken, you know, mispronounced his name for a long time. But I've been calling him Vivek Ranadive, very bad owner. Uh, he and Dolan are the worst in the NBA, and Ranadive is elevated above Dolan only by the fact that he is not a gigantic scumbag like James Dolan. So, uh, yeah, I feel bad for Kings fans. Uh, so do I. I feel yeah. so bad for Kings yeah. fans. I can't it's believe just, they traded Halliburton. Yeah, it's just like it was with the Pistons during those last few years uh, before they finally pivoted to rebuilding and Tom Gores finally understood what was what. And that's the Kings, it seems, would be thrilled with perpetual first round purgatory. Yeah. And I, I <laughs> me personally, I don't know anything about being a fan of an organization that's perpetually inept. So I'm not. Uh... Oh, you don't. That's great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I want to know what that feels like. But this is just such a foreign thing to be seeing this from afar. What's going on in Sacramento? Couldn't be us. Couldn't be us, man. Couldn't be us. Not here I mean, in Detroit. It is slightly reminiscent to, to how things were with the Red Wings during the final years before the playoff streak ended. Yeah. Where you had a general manager who seemed to be perfectly content with mediocrity. And would every season just make the safe move again and again and again, sign a washed up veteran and call it a day and the Red Wings would lose in the first round. Yeah, but like the Kings aren't even that that was always the funny part with the Sacramento thing with me. The Kings weren't even really mediocre. They were just bad. Not quite bad enough to be like first (laughs) overall pick bad, but like still bad. 
still no, like they, the, you know so yeah, at least our definition of mediocrity was like we might make the playoffs yeah. we might be a 500 oh, team dude they yeah. had they had the number two pick uh coincidentally marvin bagley and an incredibly strong draft but uh yeah we can talk about about the kings and halliburton later on why don't we mm-hmm. talk about what we think marvin bagley will bring to the team yeah yeah that's probably uh we should make this more a little, a little more piston centric right yeah, that's probably of general interest yeah yeah let's i i would say that probably the the likeliest role for bagley out of the gate i think is the most obvious one which would be a role guy off the bench um i know there's some contingencies in his in his con there's something with his deal that makes it so that the number of games that he starts affects his his total like yeah, I can explain yeah. that. Yeah, that's and that's this is not my area of expertise, but yeah. what I do know is that they have to use him as a role guy. They have to. Um whether that's with Killian Hayes primarily, whether that's with Cade Cunningham, not entirely sure. I can't imagine he's going to play tonight, probably not going to play tomorrow either. But when he does play, then we'll know functionally what his role is going to be, but I'll tell you one thing, he can jump higher than Trey Lyles. <laughs> and I think that that's probably a good thing. And he probably has better hands than Isaiah Stewart too. You know, for all of Marvin Bagley's faults, I watched a little bit of i uh, I'm not going to say tape. Um, I watched some highlights of him earlier as soon as we did the trade. Like the guy can catch a lob, man. Uh, and, and I think that <laughs> that's sort of something that's gone a little underappreciated around here. And we're going to see really quick the kind of difference that, that makes. Yeah, really quickly before Mike uh, explains the the cap implications and the, the money stuff, I just want to say, I think that if... If Bagley is going to come off the bench, this is great for Killian Hayes because Killian Hayes needs a role, man. Uh, I was thinking about this recently because I think long-term Isaiah Stewart is a a bench big and then Killian Hayes is a bench point guard. And eventually I think you're going to have to pick between one of those two. But if Bagley uh, is playing pick and roll with Killian Hayes, Killian Hayes has like an actual lob threat because prior to this year or prior to this season – well, really, for Killian's whole career, he hasn't had like a great athletic lob threat. And for a pick and roll point guard, that's like that's half of your that's half of the pick and roll. You know, you need somebody there uh, to finish the plays for you. Otherwise, you got two guys just collapsing on you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you forgot so, Plumley. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Plumley was okay, but he wasn't he wasn't that athletic. He could finish a he could finish a pick and roll, but you don't think I think uh, Bagley, really he's, Tommy. You don't yeah, think he, Bagley has threat? like some great athleticism, like his 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 jump from just a standstill. Like he's going to be a guy who can stand in the dunker spot and just explode upwards. Sure. That's something that we didn't really have. So I'm, I'm excited just for Killian. Uh, if they, if those two can develop uh, some pick and roll chemistry, I think it'll be really good for both of them. Cause they're both top picks who have just struggled to this point. So yeah, uh, maybe they bond over that. Maybe. <laughs> and so, Mike, what is it exactly with the, uh, could you, could you maybe jump into the, the contractual aspects yeah. of it? So Bagley, this is his, for the final season on his contract. Uh, obviously, the Kings chose not to extend him, which they would have had to do prior to the current season. So Bagley, as the second pick in the draft, would, had he met what's called starter criteria, had a large qualifying offer at the end of the season. So qualifying offer is the offer you have to make to a player. It's a one-year offer in order to make them a restricted free agent. Restricted free agent means that you get the right of first refusal on any offer sheet, uh, which the player signs with another team. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm not sure if it's going to be an operative thing at all uh, with Bagley to getting an offer sheet from another team. I really doubt it. I mean, really, really doubt it at this point. So restricted free agency isn't going to be that big of a deal, but just for the purposes of cap mechanics. So in order to get the full qualifying offer as uh, a player between, uh, excuse me, as any player in the first round, you have to meet starter criteria. Starter criteria means that in 
either the previous season or you know the final season of the contract or the previous two seasons, the average of the previous two seasons, whichever one is higher. You have to start 41 games or play 2,000 minutes. So Bagley, in order to get 2,000 minutes this season, would have to start playing immediately and play 48 minutes a game. Uh, oh. the, the remaining 28 <laughs> games. Uh, unlikely to happen, of course. Yeah. Uh, in order to meet starter criteria, he would have to start, I believe he started in 17 games, or is it 16? 16 games. So he'd have to start in 25 of the next 28 games. He's not even going to be around almost certainly for tonight's game or, or Friday night's game. So he's going to play, if he plays every game, 26 games with the Pistons. No way he's going to start. Jeremy Grant is there. Sadiq Bey is there. You know, and they're not going to start him at center over Isaiah Stewart. Uh, so, I mean, this this may end up being completely irrelevant, really, because I don't think it's likely the Pistons even off make him the qualifying offer. Mm-hmm. Um, but who knows? Like, if he really impresses, maybe they do. And in that case, the fact that his qualifying offer is half what it would otherwise be will be relevant. But here's the thing with Bagley. I mean, you're bringing him as a reclamation project. Like, uh, you made the good points, Dante, that it's just like Josh Jackson. You know, you're taking a flyer on a potential high-ceiling talent. It's entirely possible Bagley could play this season and be bad, and the Pistons are done with him this summer. Yeah. Yeah. No, we that's entirely that possible. But, it, but it's, it's also possible. You know, it's also possible that he plays really, really well. Uh, I don't think it can be understated um, what it means to play in a toxic environment. You know, something like something like the Kings. And listen, we don't want to throw stones. Like it's not like the Pistons have been this this bastion of you know competent management uh, since their last championship. But I, I can't imagine what that's like for a young man knowing um, that your team passed up on you know, Trey Young, Luka Doncic, Jaron Jackson Jr. And you are just hated by your fan base probably. So get him out of there. Um, that was clearly the plan from his his camp. I know there were some tweets going around last night. Mike and I spoke about this briefly. There were some tweets going around last night of, I guess, Marvin Bagley's dad was liking Pistons-related tweets. Um, as soon as I saw that, I was like, okay, you know, maybe they kind of let Bagley's camp in on something. But they're probably just so thankful to get out of there. And I think the possibility does exist that a simple change of scenery, you know, even in the absence of some fantastic offensive minded coach who can use him better than he was used in Sacramento, I think the change of scenery might actually do something for him. And that's a that's a viable thing that could happen. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you just you just never know. I mean, uh, it, yeah. was, it was the same sort of situation for Josh Jackson in Phoenix back when that team was completely incompetent. But and it, either really either one could happen. I mean, he would have to come in and, and really wow the Pistons for them to for them to give him a qualifying offer the qualifying offer they would only give him if they felt that they were at risk of some team giving him a larger offer than uh, than, the, than the pistons would but he could come in and do well he could come in and do not well i'm just basically saying that this this should be seen for what it is which is a flyer on a high ceiling talent and they could go either way but i want to get into what bagley is like as a player so uh Bagley, of course, has issues. <laughs> That's why he's the number two pick, never caught on, and uh, and has been traded for basically a pittance. So we'll start with the strength. Athletic, of course. Uh, a strong interior scorer. I mean, those those are those are good qualities to have, uh, and that, that's much of what he's had going for him in the NBA so far. Because if you and, and just good raw talent. I mean, obviously, good raw talent. I mean, this this guy was drafted in the top five for a reason. If it wasn't the Kings, somebody else probably would have drafted him. You know, I don't know, maybe number five. So. Those are the three things you got, really. Athletic, uh, you know, good leaper, strong interior scorer, and, and a lot of raw talent. Now, the downsides with Bagley, you know, we can start in no particular order. He's not a good shooter at all. I mean, he managed 34% on two and a half attempts last season. 34%, of course, not very good. That's not going to make you a floor spacer. 
He's at 24% this season. <laughs> he was at 18% uh, in 2019, 2020 season. So shooting is not really his thing. And that means he can't really play power forward, like unless he's playing next to a stretch center of some kind. Also defense. I mean, Bagley has really bad defensive IQ. I mean, there's there's really no way around it. Uh, back during his, his single season at Duke, he was playing alongside Wendell Carter Jr., who was drafted, I think, number seven in the same draft. And they were both so unable to defend the pick and roll that Duke had to go to his zone to protect the two of them. Wendell Carter has gotten better at it. Bagley has not. He's got real issues with defensive IQ, just defensive acumen in general. And so he's those kind of mix together to make him sort of a tweener. You can't play him for power forward because he can't really shoot. And you have trouble playing him at center because he can't really defend the interior. Who knows? These things could change. Maybe a player blossoms in a, in a better environment. Yeah. Obviously, better system, but in a better environment. Mm-hmm. But I just want to prepare people for what Bagley's downsides are. And, and these are the reasons why uh, why he never really caught on in Sacramento. Oh, I yeah. should note also, he's a good rebounder. I mean, the guy's a good rebounder. There's no, there's no taking that away from him either. Um, free throw shooting, also another weakness. I mean, he has vacillated uh, significantly. 70% is rookie season, 80% the next, 57, and then 75. So he's a raw talent like Josh Jackson was. And I hope he works out. I hope he works out too. And I don't know, before we move on here, do we maybe want to, I already gave a grade. I gave it an A, not because I think Marvin Bagley is great, but because I think that the swing is essentially what you need to be doing um, from the place that the Pistons are coming from here. What grade would, would the two of you give this trade? I would give it an A minus. It's not a home run. And again, Bagley is not known to be a good player. I, I don't want people to get it twisted. Like he's not going to come to the Pistons and just all of his issues are fixed. There are reasons why the Pistons were able to acquire him for so little. But I think he he does some interesting things. He The Pistons just haven't had a lot of fun play just because we don't have a lob threat. Yeah. We don't have anybody who's throwing down dunks. That's to say part of the least. reason that Hamadou has been such a, a fun development on the yeah. season. But Bagley does some good things in the short roll, and he can finish a lob. So just on that alone, uh, I like the swing, and it's a low-risk move. So I'll give it an A-. minus. I'm with you. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I would give it an A just on the – basis of it being like you said a swing and a potential talent and the Pistons gave up hardly anything I mean I don't think Trey Lyles was going to generate any interest at the trade uh, at the deadline from anybody else he wasn't going to draw probably a second round pick second round picks don't really trade hands uh, so lightly as they did in the past but also it's Trey Lyles and who knows maybe if you had a monstrous you know monstrous season you get like a second round pick at the draft uh, mm-hmm. Really, the only real cost to this is a twenty twenty four second from a Kings team, which would probably be right in the middle. Yeah, so, and that's nothing yeah. too major. No, that's nothing too major by any means. So yeah, you, you take the swing and you give up very little, so that's great. And as far as role, which I realized I, I, I never talked about, uh, it should be noted, like Trey Lyles had stepped in like the last three weeks, I think, the last month into exactly the same role that the Pistons had signed Kelly Olenek to play, like almost to a T. And... So now that he's gone, Olenek can play his old role. And uh, yeah, I, I think that you'll more or less be seeing Bagley play center off the bench. Yeah, not Good. the worst place for him. Listen, not, we not don't, it's not like we're, we're, we're big on options there, right? But uh, you, you, I like what you said, Mike, about just taking a swing. And that's what this is. It's taking a swing. And, and speaking of, you know, not taking one, um, the Pistons retained Jeremy Grant today. So I'll, I'll, I'll sort of lead this off by, by basically giving my brief thoughts. I want to know what the two of you think for sure. But... You know, for all the all the insider tweets coming out, oh, you know, Jeremy Grant is the hottest player. He'd come trade deadline, just wait, the phone's going to be ringing off the hook. We do a whole freaking <laughs> Jeremy Grant trade scenarios episode, and then nothing happens. Um, 
I know Mike wants to jump in here. I'll, I'll, I'll let Mike get to it, but really quickly, I just want to say that I'm, I think I'm pretty disappointed here. Um, I've seen some people compare this situation to the Ben Simmons situation in that, oh, you know, he'll retain his value um, and you'll be able to sell for either equal or, or a higher price later on, you know, maybe on draft night, maybe in the off season, whatever the case may be. What people are forgetting is that Ben Simmons didn't play. Um, and outside of the 25 to 30 game or so stretch that Grant was outstanding last year, uh, he's not played that great. So what is our confidence level that Grant is going to retain, let alone, you know, heighten his value going into the draft or going into the offseason? My level of confidence is very, very low. I, I can't help but feel like the Pistons missed out on a chance to cash in on an asset where, whereby which you could have maybe gotten more than it's actually worth. Uh, in not trading Grant right now. So I don't know what the two of you think, but I, I, I pretty pretty firmly placed myself in the camp of being disappointed. So what I wanted to jump in and say was that, yeah, absolutely, Jeremy Grant was the bell of the ball early on. I mean, in, in the weeks leading up to the deadline, nobody expected that Tyrese Halliburton would be available <laughs> or he or he absolutely would have been the number one target. I mean, sure. Ty, Tyrese Halliburton is, with all respect to Jeremy Grant, Halliburton uh, would have been the hot commodity. Like uh, It came out from Adrian Wojnarowski that teams were stunned they had not even known that Halliburton was available. So this is an, another also reflects very negatively on the Kings because maybe they could have gotten a, a better offer. But you had him move. You had CJ McCollum move, which maybe wasn't really that surprising. But And of course, Harden. So I think though Harden was always just going to be Philly or nothing. So I think that more things happened at the deadline than had been expected. As for the situation, I mean... I'd feel better if we actually knew, and I doubt we will know, what offers were actually made for grants. Because I, I think without that information, it's really difficult to say whether we should be disappointed or not. Now, if the Pistons were just asking too high a price and they were asking for two first round picks or I think a pick and a very good young player, as it was put, there was no guarantee that that was going to be offered. So maybe that was shooting a little bit too high, particularly because they wouldn't be looking for net, for picks like the, the like right at the end of the first round. Because picks at the end of the first round, it's not like a first round pick is a first round pick. I mean, the picks at the end of the first round are basically on the borderline of the second round. I mean, obviously. So now if the yeah. Pistons get a good offer, but they just weren't willing to go down on their ask, that's a different story. I think that would be very disappointing. Uh, so I, I think without that context, it's a, it's a little too difficult to judge. And maybe that information will come out in, in coming days, but I doubt it. Yeah, it didn't really seem like we were getting these crazy offers that I think people were expecting. And I'm not surprised that they decided to hold on to the deadline. It really felt like if it was going to happen, it was just going to kind of come out of nowhere. And if it didn't happen, that as kind of expected. It didn't really seem like there was a lot of traction anywhere other than, you know, Portland created all this space that Jeremy Grant could have just nicely fit into. Uh, but even then, like, I don't know what team really needs Jeremy Grant right now other than the Bulls if they really want to go all in this season, but there's just so many weird little factors. So the primary ones being uh, apparently Jeremy Grant wants to play, you know, a pretty substantial role and he's looking at this massive extension uh, and you're kind of expected to give that to him. Now the Pistons have him and it goes one of two ways. You know, if the Pistons want to hold him to the deadline or to the off season and trade him, then one of two things happens. Either he plays poorly and the Pistons continue uh, get a top pick, a top five pick or a top six pick. Or Jeremy Grant plays well, he increases his trade value, presumably, uh, but maybe the Pistons hurt their draft lottery position. So we're kind exactly. of in a tough spot there. That's what I'm so saying. In that man. sense, I'm disappointed with you. But uh, but uh, I, if if the offers just weren't there, like, and you think that 
the Pistons are going to get a better offer in the offseason, which a lot of analysts have kind of indicated historically that is the case. You know, teams miss the playoffs. They're disappointed. They're emotional, and they want to make a, a big, splashy trade with a big name. Uh, maybe then you do get something else. But I don't know. There's there's also the factor of, like, the draft happens, and you have more flexibility in terms of the names and the pieces that you can acquire. So it really comes down to whether the Pistons think they'll be able to get a better offer in the offseason. If you want to judge it by uh, the Pistons were asking for a young, a good young player and a pick or two first-round picks, and they just didn't get it, you'd have to compare that to what they end up getting. So that's mm-hmm. how I would frame it right now. I don't think you can make a decision on whether it was a good or bad decision right now until the offseason where we see what we get from it. Yeah, it's just so hard to say. I mean, it's hard to say that there's going to be anything necessarily better available in the offseason. I mean, you are losing one postseason. That's not ideal. Uh, I think, sure, any team which trades for Jeremy Grant is going to do so with the belief that they can give him that extension, for which, unless I'm mistaken, it is still going to be available two years to the day after he was traded. So that would be in November. But uh, because that was a weird offseason, of course, free agency was in November. I'm not sure if the NBA is going to just adjust that back to July because that's when the offseason typically is. But whatever the case. Uh, so there are some downsides. Yeah, one less postseason that does decrease his value. Uh, a team can't really trade for him now and say, okay, well, we got some time to see if this is going to work out. We're going to flip him if it doesn't. They got a mm-hmm. lot less time to do that if they trade for him at the draft. Well. Yeah, that's kind of what it is, though, to me, is that I, I just feel like there's these different um, there are these competing things in what may happen. Right. Like Tommy pointed out, it's like, OK, this could go one of a few ways, but the ways in which it could go, they all sort of conflict with each other. Right. It's like, well, if Jeremy plays well, you know, well enough to sort of buoy his trade value or maybe increase his trade value, presumably you've won more games than you probably wanted to down the stretch. But then if he plays poorly, sure, you get, you know, a better pick, but then his value is probably lower and you're coming in and teams are potentially trading for him with one year less on his deal, which unless you've guaranteed him that extension, as Mike pointed out, is probably going to be something that limits his value as well. So, yeah, obviously you can't fully make a determination if you don't know the exact trades that were proposed and we'll probably never know but you got to think like there there probably was something out there that might be better than how this situation could end up resolving itself down the line with grant this is something we're going to have to revisit you know when grant is either traded or extended or you know, maybe retires and pissed and i don't know but yeah, I, I just and also too, and one last thing, I don't know if I buy that there's more emotion in the off season. I feel like the most emotion when it comes to roster movement or roster, you know, shakeups is the trade deadline. You know, if someone didn't bite right now, <laughs> I just don't, I just don't really see it working out in our favor here. I would definitely say there's more emotion after the playoffs. The, the teams that uh, would have been looking at Jeremy Grant games, would have been the games. ones that have just lost in the playoffs. You know, and Grant is a talent that, or he has the potential to elevate you. A little bit. Does but he? You know what I think is going to happen? Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask, does he? Because we've only really, and I like Grant. I know we all like Grant, but like, serious, I'm genuinely asking you guys this without a hint of what, do we genuinely think he's a team elevator? Because he really only played at this well, level where the league was sort of recategorizing what he is for right. like 25 games last year. We haven't, we haven't seen that since. Well, that kind of leads into what I think is going to happen. This is a, a prediction that I have. I think Grant is going to continue to hurt his value. And it's not just Grant. What I really mean is I think Casey is going to hurt Grant's value because I think Grant is at his best when he's like a third option on a good team. And maybe it does come down to this role that we keep hearing about Grant wanting. 
uh, where he doesn't want to be a fourth option like he was in Denver. He wants to be, you know, a high volume score. Mm-hmm. But I really think he's at his most valuable if you give him, if you take the ball out of his hands a bit, don't let him elevate for his own shot. Don't let him pull up for long twos. You know, make him a movement three-point shooter, play good defense, and then his value goes up. That's where, you know, teams are like, that's a guy that we can put on the floor with our good players. Sure. And they're going to cohesively fit together. But Casey just doesn't do that. So I think... Exactly. And I think that the Pistons are going to continue to lose games because they don't actually play a very good brand of basketball when Jeremy Grant is playing heavy minutes. That's what I'm saying. But, yeah, so if in that case, I think he is going to just hurt his offseason value further. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you, and it, it really it, it's it's all about it's all about getting value, and probably the best place that you can get value is DraftKings Sportsbook. I'd say <laughs> it's probably the best place that you could go about getting that value. Look, look, the Super Bowl is coming up on Sunday, right? Rams, Bengals. Uh, there's a great new offer from DraftKings Sportsbook. It's giving new customers fifty six to one odds on either team. So all you got to do is bet five dollars to get two hundred and eighty dollars in free bets. Yeah, you heard that right. Bet five dollars on a team to win. If you pick the right team, that's two hundred and eighty dollars in free bre- free bets credited right to your account. Uh, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in New York. Um, if it's not in your state yet, don't worry. DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest for Super Bowl 56 will be available everywhere soon. Uh, new customers can get a free shot at a million dollars with a top prize for the first deposit as well. So download DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Get 56 to 1 odds on either team. So again, you're just betting $5 and you get 280 in free bets credited to your account if your team wins. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. <sighs> How was okay. that? Great. All right. Yeah, that <laughs> How was, was that? That was, that was a particularly evil place to put that. Uh, in any case, <laughs> that was, though. That was incredible. Yeah. All right. So, uh, yeah, this is the first time we've actually tried the ad mid-roll. Like, yeah, uh, people are probably so confused. <laughs> They're like, yeah. what is he even talking about? So, so, Grant, I mean, of course, I've said this many times. Like, Casey, if you give Casey a veteran he trusts who can create offense off the dribble, he cannot resist giving the guy the ball and saying, please do this. You know, I need you to do this. Do it. Absolutely. This is great. It, you know, he just he can't resist. I mean, it's put it that way, but he's been coaching the NBA for a long time. And that's just true. So, I mean, we've seen it since Grant has been back. He's back to taking the long twos already. His first shot after he got back was a, was a, was a pull up long two from right inside the three point line. The guy shoots in the mid 30s from mid range. Hardly anybody can make that an efficient shot at mid range pull ups. Hardly anybody tries, and Grant should not be trying. I disagree with you, Tommy, in that I don't think he's just the guy who's going to shoot threes and play defense. And more to the point, I don't think any team which will trade significant assets for him is going to trade those assets just to have him spot up at the three-point line or shoot threes in motion like like he did in Denver. I think Grant can be kind of like the number two B or ideally number three guy uh, on a championship team who can shoot threes, who can, who can create offense off the dribble. Because again, Jeremy Grant, when he decides he's going to drive to the net, is he's a capable scorer off the drive. Yeah, he and could he do takes, it. Yeah, he takes high efficiency shots. He's really good at drawing fouls, uh, and and he'd be used presumably more intelligently as a lesser option under a much better offensive coach. In case he is almost unequivocally one of the worst offensive coaches in the league. So, yeah, at the draft, just to expand, Tommy, on what you said about what's more available there. Uh, for those unfamiliar, there's this thing called the Stepien Rule, uh, and it's named after a. a Cavaliers general manager from a long time ago who just traded away picks like they were candy and really hamstrung his team. So in order to prevent teams from doing that to themselves, uh, the NBA put in place the Stepien rule, which says that teams cannot 
in the future be without first round picks in consecutive years. They have to; these have to be guaranteed first round picks. They cannot be uh, picks that are protected. Like you, these, you have to absolutely have a pick in uh, for all of the consecutive years. Uh, excuse me, for all future years in, in consecutive years. Uh, if you have a guaranteed pick from another team, then that's fine. You can trade away your pick. You just have to have a guaranteed first round pick uh, every other year, at least. So at the draft, you can sort of bypass the step in rule uh, in that what happens is teams use their draft pick. So they've already drafted the guy. And so the clock is reset because what has already happened means you don't worry about consecutive years then. You're only worrying about future years. And then yeah. the team trades the draft rights of that player uh, to whichever incoming team. So in that case, yeah, you you have teams who are able to trade their pick at the draft without interference from the stepping rule. And that does give you more options. And it just boils down to really who's going to want to make the trade at that point. I mean, yeah. there, there will be there will be more available options. And you're right, Tommy, the teams will really be thinking playoff. Uh, can, uh, as, aspiring contenders will really be thinking about, well, what can we do to get ourselves over the top? So it's possible. It is possible, but let me ask you guys. That really, I, I genuinely want to get back to this point because I, I want to know what the two of you think. How do we reconcile? Okay, well, let's say Grant plays really, really, really well. That probably elevates his trade value, but that likely means he took the ball out of Cade's hands. Versus, you know, Cade dominates the ball. Grant probably doesn't play as well, doesn't put up the counting stats, um, but his trade value is lessened. How are we? It, like, it kind of seems like a lose lose. I don't. What, what is the most beneficial way that this could actually work out? So I think that teams will be cognizant of what Grant can provide. I mean, teams will look at this sort of thing in context. Uh, this, I mean, these these are management teams being paid a lot of money to do a very complete job. I mean, some of them fail anyway, but like that's, that, that's, 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 that's besides the point. So they're, they're going to be looking at this contextually. I mean, at this point, they know what Grant can do. And he's going to play a different role in their system under a different coach who actually uses him properly and coaches his shot selection and so on. They know Grant can play strong defense. So I think that the average competent team will be looking at him on the basis of what they know he can do rather than how he was utilized. Um, I agree. Part of the reason, I mean, part of the reason I wanted him gone is because it's ugly to watch him under Dwayne Casey. It's just ugly. They play just a, a much more ball movement form of offense when he's not on the floor. And I don't like that. Yeah, he does take the ball out of Cade's hands. He does end possessions in ways that are not good. He's not good for the development of young players. He's just not. And again, I think that under a better coach, he wouldn't be doing that. Uh, I hope I hope he's not going to help the Pistons win more games because that would be really bad, though. I'm guessing that if lottery position is really an issue, then they will do what they did last season and just sit him down the stretch. Yeah, I wouldn't be against it if if Grant decided to become a better passer and play a better brand of basketball. Uh, because eventually Cade will need to learn how to play with talent. Like the Pistons are not going to win a championship with just Cade dominating the ball. He does need to learn uh, how to play with guys who can take the ball out of his hands. I think the the best teams, they have multiple good ball handlers. That's a balance that is going to need to be struck eventually, but not right this second. Agreed. Uh, it's, I don't know. I don't know how to, it's how to tough, reconcile right? that, I guess. Yeah, it's it's tough, man. And I hate to be the the one to kind of drop that, but that that sort of logic bomb there. Like it makes sense when you think about it that um in the absence of what Mike just said, you know, teams are cognizant of what Grant can do, you know, regardless how, of how the rest of the season shakes out. In the absence of that, you're kind of looking at a lose-lose. So sort of remains to be seen there how that's going to work out. But uh, I want to ask you this quick, Mike, because we always have a back and forth on sources. Jordan Schultz, is he a reliable source? He's got a blue check mark on Twitter. 
<laughs> I've never heard of him. I mean, the sources uh, whom I trust are the reputable national insiders. Those would be Shams and Woj, of course, Mark Stein, as has been in the business a long time. Okay. And, and Zach Lowe, who doesn't really d- tweet out a ton, but when he hears something, he hears something, and it's, it's it, almost invariably going to be true. And the local beat writers. The local is beat it possible? Writers. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Mike. No, I was saying local beat writers who can really vary in reliability depending on the team. Okay. So... Well, he has a hundred thousand followers to discount mm-hmm. everything you just said. <laughs> not really, but he can I can I read what he tweet? He's got a yeah, check mark. He tweeted about the Pistons. He just said um, this was so. This went live right after we started recording, so it's no wonder we didn't see it. Uh, Detroit's plan all along was to retain Jeremy Grant. Hashtag Pistons. Pistons listened to the substantial interest in Grant, but stuck to their guns with the hope that he can continue to develop alongside Cade Cunningham, Isaiah Stewart, and Sadiq Bay as a part of a future core. Mm. So what, do we think of what, that? what Sham said was that the Pistons and Grant have a degree of comfortability, comfortability moving forward. Here's, here's the thing about uh, internet sources these days. Anybody can go on Twitter or start a blog or whatever and say, oh, such and such is going to happen and just start throwing out rumors. And eventually, if you're right on about 25% of your rumors, uh, people might start seeing you as a reputable source because, you know, for whatever, due to whatever vagaries of human nature... Uh, or the desire to have these insider sources, people are the average person, it seems, in my experience, is going to remember the misses, excuse me, remember the hits far more than they're going to remember the misses, even if the the misses outnumber the hits significantly. So I don't know, it's possible that that's true. But the the fact is, anybody can come out and say anything, you're not gonna have the teams come out and say, well, this guy's wrong. So uh, there's, there's not really much for these guys to lose by saying whatever they say. And how would I feel about that? I don't know. I mean, Jeremy Grant's 27, continue to develop him. I mean, he showed that he had a different gear, but no, I don't see it. I just, I don't, I cannot see Jeremy Grant as a major future component of this team. I mean, the fact that he's being used as he is under Dwayne Casey is part of that. And Dwayne Casey is here for at least another season and two, unless he decides to retire. Uh, so yeah, I just, I just don't see it. And I, I don't know if I see, for example, him saying, oh, "Okay, sure, well, we get another good, another another good player," and maybe if Sadiq Bay continues to develop, I might be, you know, number three A or three B. Is he going to be happy with that? Um, so I, I don't think it's likely. I think that the Pistons will move him for a good return at the draft if they can. Um, though we did hear from Mark Stein that there was a a divide between Weaver and Arn Tellum, who technically outranks him. And that Weaver really wanted to keep Drent and that Aaron Tellum was a louder voice in the room wanting to move him if possible for a good return. Right. Yeah, I think there's maybe two ways that that tweet can go. Maybe it's, this is maybe a reach, but, you know, if you're telling other teams, it's like, yeah, no, we really don't want to move this guy. Uh, Maybe that's a little more leverage for you. Like the teams are going to look at that and they're like, okay, well, if we really want this guy, we have to pry him away. They're not looking to just get rid of him and just take the, the best offer that they see. They, you know, there's the other option is, you know, they just keep him. And if they do keep him, uh, one, Grant needs to learn to pass. He's not a good passer. He doesn't pass well within an offense. And if he does, I don't know why I said one. It's just, it's just, that's just it. Uh, <laughs> if he's going to pass and then it's he needs the to shoot better. Thing. Uh, yeah, no, he just needs to play more team oriented basketball. And with Dwayne Casey at the helm, I mean, he's kind of enabled to you know, play this superstar style role where he's just taking whatever shots he wants. They're difficult shots. He can't do that. You know, yeah. it's, it's ugly basketball. It's not winning basketball. And it really doesn't, you know, help Grant, honestly, because if you look at his shooting percentages, they're not good it's no. because he's taking such difficult shots. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Let's. Um, I agree. I, I agree with 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 the two of yours uh, assessments there. And let's talk a little bit about before we jump into um, what happened in the rest of the NBA. I don't know if anybody heard there was a couple trades went down, a um, couple big ones. But uh, as far as the rest of the Pistons roster is concerned, Corey Joseph sticking around, Kelly Olynyk sticking around. Uh, not a lot of movement. Well, really no movement aside from the Bagley trade. What do we make of uh, not being able to find a home or maybe a better way to put it would be to find a return uh, for some of these lower end of the rotation guys? I don't think that there was really much value. Kelly Olenek, everybody knows what he is, but he's also been injured for much of the season. Maybe there is some concern about how much time he's going to take to get back up to speed. But no, I, I do think that if Kelly had been actually genuinely good this season, maybe you could draw a late, route, late first round pick for him. Maybe people are waiting to see, okay, well, was what he did with the Rockets last season just good stats on a really bad team? Or was he actually genuinely playing well as a bench piece? So if he had been playing that well, then maybe you get a first-round pick for him. At this point, I mean, he's just he's, he's an average role player paid a pretty average salary. I mean, $12 million is uh, $13 million, I think. I mean, that's just over 10% of the cap. So I don't think that you could reasonably have, have moved Kelly Olenek for value. Uh, and, you know, not, not right now. And I think the Pistons, you know, they like him. And I think it's likely that he gets moved to the deadline, uh, much likelier that he gets moved to the deadline next season if he plays well or if he plays the rest of the season. You know, who knows, maybe at the draft, though, I doubt it because it's just not that hard to find Kelly Olenek. So that doesn't bother me. I, I just don't, I didn't think that was a realistic possibility. And Corey Joseph, here's the thing about Kojo. He's had a good season, but uh, like, is he has had a good season shooting over 40% from two or from three, excuse me. He's got the highest uh, true shooting percentage on the team. And he's a good veteran guy. He's not the defender he used to be, but uh, he's so ball dominant that he's just of less value to a playoff team. I honestly would have been okay with keeping Kojo. Kelly, I'd be fine with moving, but Corey Joseph, again, this is really more about Dwayne Casey and what he allows some of these players to do on the basketball court. But I think Corey Joseph is a valuable piece for this team. He's not expensive. And I, I still think about this uh, mentorship that he seems to have with Killian Hayes that that was re- that was reported on maybe a few months ago, and I like that because Killian Hayes has struggled in the league, and any anybody who's going to make him more comfortable and instill confidence in him is somebody valuable to me. So it's not just about the value of Corey Joseph on the team; it's what he could be doing behind the scenes for Killian Hayes. Uh, veterans are valuable, you know. You can't just you don't want to just get rid of every older player who doesn't fit your timeline, you still want some of these guys who provide, you know, good locker room presence and good leadership. So uh, I, I don't have any issue with the idea of keeping Corey Joseph. Uh, he took a pay cut or not uh, took a pay cut. He re-signed with us for less money. Uh, even after we did not pick up his more expensive player option, I, I think it means he wants to be here. And uh, that's, that's good. I mean, you don't want a toxic locker room. So I'm, yeah. I'm fine with it. I'll, I'll give I'll give the remainder of my piece before Dante, who I know is probably the the least uh, really likes. No, he Corey has Joseph he's got like three or four Corey Joseph jerseys. <laughs> yeah, sure. He's he just, growing he, on me. He's growing yeah. on me. Don't oh, I mean, harp on it. Go ahead. Yeah, he's <laughs> <laughs> fine. So ever oh, Corey's teammates love him. I mean, that much has been made clear. Uh, he's he's a leader. He's a veteran. I'm I'm firmly convinced that there have been a couple of games in which Corey started and, and Saban was playing and Saban played the rest of the game. And uh, I'm firmly convinced on just on the basis of what I know about Corey Joseph, that he, he you know, uh, that he told Dwayne Casey, like, go ahead and play him the rest of the game, you know? Uh, and, and he was perfectly content with that. So I, I have no doubt that he's a leader in the locker room. I have no doubt that he's just a good presence in the locker room. He's a steady presence on the court. 
And so I, I've got nothing against keeping him. Uh, more to the points, I don't think anybody would have paid anything for him. So uh, I think it makes him makes it kind of a moot point that that he wasn't traded. Uh, it should be noted, Tommy, with respect to taking less than he was offered. I mean, he was overpaid by the Kings. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Uh, also, he got, I think, two point six million uh, of of just dead salary when the Pistons didn't take his, his option because his last season sal- this season salary, excuse me, on his his old contract was partially guaranteed. But uh, the only thing I don't like about Kojo is that he's playing next to Cade. I don't want him to play next to Cade. And Dwayne Casey is the reason he's playing next to Cade because Dwayne Casey loves him and refuses to put Frank Jackson into lineups with Cade at point guard. Just start Frank, Frank Jackson. I agree with you. Uh, just yes. start him. But not only does Frank not start, Casey has been ridiculously resistant to playing him in lineups with Cade at point guard and other decent players on the floor. It has hardly ever happened at all. And, and we know the value of uh, of a good motion shooter, even beyond just the three-point shots he's hitting. Yeah, um, this is what you guys are going to get out of me. Corey Joseph is a basketball player. Um, he's <laughs> like, what do you guys want me to say? Like, he's, he's okay. He's okay. He's grown on me a little bit. Maybe I was a little too harsh on him early in the season. I don't think he's a bad player anymore. Um, I agree with you, Tommy. He is a good mentor. I also agree with you, Mike, that there probably wasn't a substantial market for him. I'm not too torn up that they kept him. I feel like Kelly Olenek, though, like, He's actually pretty good. Now, I, I think Mike made a good point in that teams might want to see, okay, what does he look like post-injury? Like, is this something that he can do? Like, what he did in Houston, is this something that he, that he can do consistently? Um, maybe you flip them as expirings next year, next trade deadline, I don't know. Maybe something happens at the draft in the offseason. Uh, I don't have too, too much to say about it otherwise. I think we should probably as we sort of looked around out the episode here, we should probably move into a segment that Mike is going to lead. Um, and these are the rest of the trades that happened in the NBA. And before Mike jumps into it, I'd be remiss if I didn't recommend that we start with, obviously, you know, a trade that shook up not just the NBA, but the world of sports. Um, our old friend, Bull Bull, shipped out for... A- <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he's on to his his next destination. He's such a hot commodity. <laughs> teams keep trading him. I mean, they, they know convey, they're, they're right? like, that pick won't even convey likely or something like that. Uh, I don't. I'm not sure. I, I, I don't know about the details of that trade. I mean, this this was purely a salary dump by the Celtics who wanted to get another tax line. Right. Yeah, but I mean, obviously, like uh, you know, in all seriousness, moving on to uh, to the big trade in the NBA today. Uh, which is is really the one that has made headlines, which is the trade between the Nets and the Sixers, which reunited the dominant front court of Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin in Brooklyn. <clears throat> yeah, it's yeah, uh, Brooklyn has, <laughs> yeah. So Brooklyn has decided to zig when everybody else has zagged. Yeah, yeah. But they have yeah. Kevin Durant. I had to unmute yeah, exactly. my mic specifically <laughs> to chuckle at that. I hope you know. Yeah. So uh, really, though, uh, it was James Harden who was traded alongside Seth Curry. Uh, and a couple of draft picks in exchange for, um, excuse me, uh, James Harden was traded alongside Paul Millsap uh, to the Philadelphia 76ers in exchange for Ben Simmons and uh, Seth Curry and a couple of draft picks. So that, of course, is a big deal. I'd say this, uh, like, Tommy despises the Sixers. <laughs> I, it's true. Yeah. I, I, it's even though Drummond isn't on the team anymore, I still just, I do not want them to succeed. Yeah. I just don't. I really I, hope this blows up in their face somehow. I like Embiid. I yeah. know that he has like had beef with the Pistons in the past, but 
I, I still just hate the Sixers organization and the fans. Oh, he hasn't had beef with the Pistons. He's just he's had beef with Drummond, and while he's in the process of grinding Drummond under his boot heel on the court, uh, <laughs> I mean, he he used to destroy Drummond. I love was, the imagery. I love the yeah. Imagery, I mean, he yeah. It was it was just it, it was it was murder committed in plain sight when when the two of them played against each other. So. I really think highly of Embiid. I mean, the guy is an incredible basketball player. There are very few, maybe nobody amongst big men in the history of the league who can score the way that he does with his level of versatility. Yeah, He's an excellent defender and he's a super hard worker. And he's been stuck in sort of a difficult situation, in large part due to Ben Simmons and horrible management on the part of the Sixers. Like uh, Jerry Colangelo and Elton Brand took the the very good situation. Sam Hinkie, the tank master, had left them and completely screwed it up. I mean, they were horribly incompetent so i'm glad to see he's going to get another shot at this and uh, you know there, there are some questions about the fit between he and harden but i don't doubt that he's very happy about this trade and so you've got tobias harris still there there was some thinking that they would have to dump him uh and uh in order to make the, the harden trade work in the off season uh, tobias is still a good player he's just having a tough season uh but I mean, you've you've got a good team there, a genuinely good team. Embiid doesn't have to do everything anymore, and they managed to keep uh, Matisse Thybul, who is one of the best perimeter defenders in the league, though he still needs to shoot. Um, but he's on the floor with Harden and uh, and Embiid. Just shooting is less of an issue, and they kept Tyrese Maxey, who is having a very good season. So mm-hmm. I think it's a big deal for them. I don't think it's a great trade for the Nets. I think that today came along. And they were very cognizant of the fact that they needed to make this happen uh, or risk getting a much worse return in a side and train of the offseason where it's basically Harden wants to go to Philly. And they're like, okay, well, we have no leverage here at all. Um, Okay, we'll just take Ben Simmons and nothing else, which may have happened. Yeah, yeah. I think I I might actually disagree with you a little, Mike. This is one of those trades where... I see the rationale for both sides and I kind of like it for both sides because yeah, I, I, I do agree that they Brooklyn made this trade out of almost panic, right? For getting nothing from Harden, especially when they traded that treasure trove of, of picks to get them. But at least they recognize that there's like a 99.9% chance they will have no leverage uh, in the off season. And I think they utilize the little leverage that they did have to get someone who, you know, say what you want about, Ben Simmons as a person but as a player I think he fits really nicely with Durant and then obviously he's not pressured to shoot or score when you've got Irving and Durant running around out there with you and and you know Brooklyn added Andre Drummond so just pairing two of the greatest front court players of all time him and Blake off the bench it's gonna be be something (laughs) it's gonna be something for Brooklyn and then from Philadelphia's point of view here I'm not a Sixers fan either I don't like the Sixers I don't like Embiid like at all but I do recognize that he's a fantastic player. And maybe this is a little premature, but just from like on paper, I would put Embiid in this current state and James Harden, like you're maybe looking at an all-time duo right there. I don't know if the Sixers are immediately better than the Bucks right now, but they're going to make some noise in the East for sure. And they may even contend for the finals. So listen, we'll have to see what happens, but I can understand it. And I kind of like it for both sides. Yeah, I would say for the Nets, like I agree, Simmons could do well there and his shortcomings would be less of an issue. And maybe he's still surprised everybody uh, in that, like he spent all this time just learning to shoot spot up threes. And yeah, exactly. Like, ben Simmons, who can shoot threes, is a super valuable player. Ben Simmons, who can't shoot threes, has big flaws, which can be compensated for to a degree. Like anything could be compensated for to a degree by having uh, just a lot of superstar talent. Like, uh, 
I think back to like in the NBA today, you really don't want to play with less than four shooters in the four. Preferably, you want to have five shooters in the four. The Warriors, of course, were able to make it work with three shooters in the four because you've got uh, Durant and Thompson and Curry. <laughs> you've got one of the one of the best trios ever, uh, and also one of your non shooters is Draymond. Which that requires no explanation. So, yeah, the Nets got. But if you get current Simmons, sure, his flaws are less. He is still an all world perimeter defender. He's a very good passer. He's very strong in transition. Um, but like the picks that they got from Philly are not going to be that great. Um, like even the 2020, so they traded, uh, Philly at 2022, which is unprotected. Brooklyn has the option to defer it to 2023. Harden picked up his player option for next season. They're still going to have Embiid. They're still going to have Harden. Still going to have Maxi. They're still going to have probably Tobias Harris and who knows, um, so that's not going to be too good. And the pick in 2027 is top eight protected. So even if the Sixers are not good, they're not going to lose a really high pick. Uh, Seth Curry is helpful, but, um, you know, so I, I don't I don't think too highly. Harden kind of screwed the Nets here, not going to lie, but uh, I feel okay about it because I'm really happy he's going to the Sixers. But, I, you know, but that, that kind of thing I really don't like out of a player. That's what Harden does, though. That's what yeah, I does. Twice know, in two seasons. Yeah, I know he didn't. I, there was that report that he didn't want it leaked, but it's like, dude, you, you can't imagine that the, Net, the Nets were going to trade you for no reason. Like, if you were on the move, um, it's probably evident that you didn't want to be there. But I don't know if Tommy. I don't know. Did you give your input yet? I don't know if you want to jump in here, give your input, then maybe we can move uh, on. To... Tommy's input. I hate the Sixers. Move on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Tommy, what do you actually think of this? I, I just don't know who's going to be the better team now because, I mean, Harden has been struggling a bit this season. But, again, when you talk about he's done this twice in two seasons, uh, maybe he was just kind of like phoning it in. I, I, I think his last game that he played before he uh, got some really timely hamstring soreness was like a four-point effort. So he, when he did this in Houston, when he was trying to force his way out of there, he just kind of sucked for a while. And then he, when he got to where he wanted, he turned it back on. Now, what I really hope will happen is the refs will do what they did at the start of the season and not call uh, the garbage fouls because I think that makes a huge difference for Harden. And I do not want the Sixers, to, the Sixers. I don't want uh, James Harden to succeed, and I do not want Joel Embiid to succeed. So <laughs> just do what you got to do to make sure that they don't win. That's a very high-minded way of thinking about things. Yeah. I, I admire you. It's not petty at all. but I respect uh, it. I don't think I it is. It, I think it's entirely reasonable, and I think I'm a very smart I think that's person petty. for it. What? Nobody said anything about your intelligence. Uh, I was, I was, I was just, I was just questioning the moral integrity of the statement. Listen, I, that's what makes sports fun, though, right? It's just hating for the sake of hating. Like I've, I've had this discuss, sort of off topic. I've had this discussion with my friends, right? Where, uh, like Aaron Rodgers, for example, one of my buddies that I met in school is a big time Packers fan, and and obviously I'm a Lions fan, and he'd always say to me, like, you don't like appreciate rogers for how great he is you don't you don't like you know you're not going to miss him and his greatness in the league when he retires i'm like no i hate him no nope. like, why do i have to no, <laughs> i don't have to like any team for any i can hate any team or any player for any reason that i want right that's the beauty that's of sports. True. rivalries Absolutely. are part of what makes sports fun yeah i don't i don't think it's much of a rivalry though i mean maybe for you for you <laughs> it, it is in is. my head <laughs> yeah for you for you it is but it's kind of like uh well, I don't know yeah, about you. It's guys, me versus Philadelphia. You versus as Philadelphia. As, saw, okay. as soon as yeah. I saw this trade go down, I thought the Pistons' titles title chances were immediately took a shot. I'd oh, say. yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. They have no chance of winning the championship this season now. Yeah, yeah, um, we're in some trouble so, as far as that. So don't hedge your bets on that. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think the question is, of course, you know, how you're going to make it work between uh, Harden, who likes to play very ISO heavy style, and Embiid, who does the scoring with the ball in his hands too. But I, I think they'll make it work. And Harden, I thought his fit 
in Brooklyn was always a little bit awkward because you have three guys who all do their best on the ball. Mm-hmm. And uh, at least you've got more positional versatility here. So, yeah, there's that. Moving on to another one that might have somewhat more implications for the Pistons, uh, though I hope not, is uh, the Mavericks trading Chris Depp's Porzingis for a very curious package of, I believe it was Bertans and Dinwiddie. Weird. So, yeah, this was a weird trade. Weird I want to give trade. some background on this. So, uh, Porzingis got injured during the playoffs in 2020 during that series against the Clippers, which I believe Dallas would have won if he had stayed healthy. Uh, I mean, Luka Doncic was really something else, and Porzingis was playing well too. So when when the Mavericks traded for Porzingis, their their vision was that he would play center and that you'd just have a really great perimeter interior duo. The Porzingis, of course, loves to operate from the outside also. But also, Porzingis was an elite rim protector before this injury. Like, unambiguously, an excellent interior defender. After this injury, he lost the step. His defense took a dump. Uh, just his overall game took a dump, and uh, there was some talk that he wasn't too happy playing unequivocal second fiddle next to Luca. And it's like, dude, you're not as good as Luca, but you know, whatever. So there might be some implications in that they've got a decision to make on Jalen Brunson in the in the upcoming offseason. He wants quite a bit of money. Uh, there was also Dorian Finney-Smith. He was actually signed to an extension about five minutes ago uh, for a very reasonable price. Like, uh, like, like surprisingly reasonable 13 million a year is an excellent price for Dorian Finney-Smith. So there's been talk of the Pistons being connected to Brunson. Uh, so who knows, maybe they're trying to clear, maybe Dinwiddie is his replacement. Maybe they're trying to clear space for Cuban to be a little bit cheap and not pay the tax. Yeah. Which is like odd though, because and correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, like Mr. Salary Cap Guru yourself, but I don't understand if the Pistons really do want, and I'm not saying they should or shouldn't go after him, uh, the Pistons have the, are going to have the most cap space in the NBA. So if they really want him, I don't see how clearing just a marginal amount of space is going to make or break whether or not they retain Jalen Brunson, like I as far as the will. Pistons are concerned. Um, so I just, this is a really curious trade. Um, I get it, but I also don't get it. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. It, there must be something we don't know about Porzingis just yet, though. Honestly, he's it, it just the injuries are piling up now. Also, I mean, he's missed a lot mm-hmm. of time this season. And I, I just, I, I think it's just, it's hard to know behaviorally what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. This is really more of an A side. Well, two A sides. One, I do not want Brunson. No, I mean, uh, and it actually kind of ties into the second point. Uh, the, the, the Mavericks, they really don't have a lot of flexibility anymore. One of their big moves was supposed to be Porzingis. And now I really don't see how they're going to add more like top tier talent to Luca, at least anytime soon. Imagine if the Mavericks had gotten another top pick in 2020 you know there were some there were some real talent in that draft they mm-hmm. could have had even even Sadiq Bay would have really helped them but yeah now they have to kind of build through you know the middle of the playoffs which is where the Mavericks kind of find themselves year to year I think they've won a few playoff series but I don't know they just I, I really look at the Mavericks and I'm like well everybody's still talking about how good Luka is he's still only like 22 but where do they go from here? How do they take that next step into being like actual contenders w- without relying super hard on Luca to just be a all time great, you know? So they're they're a curious case. I don't really have much more to say uh, beyond that. But yeah, the Mavs. The Dallas Mavs is an actually, interesting case. Yeah, they are. The Mavs just weren't a very were, were a relatively strong team that season in general. I mean, Luca had an, had a very good season. They were a thirty three win team. They weren't great, but they weren't bad either. And that was also a season in which. A season in which, uh, like, there were a ton of weak teams in the East, like a ton of like a 
so, uh, but also bear in mind, they had also traded that pick. Uh, I completely forgot about this when I started that sentence. Uh, they had traded their 2019 pick uh, in order to move up in the draft and, and take Luca. So they didn't have an option of tanking in 2019. I mean, they, they must, That's right. I uh, forgot yeah. about that. Unless they were just going to try to be really bad, which is going to be tough with Luca, and just trust the lottery odds. It didn't really make much sense for them. So in the event, I believe they had the ninth pick, and that went to Atlanta. They could have just tried to be really bad, but I don't think it made any sense for them. Porzingis was a good move. I would, I would absolutely think that Porzingis was a good move. He's a re- Before his injury, he was a really good player. It, they just, you know, they... He was an injury prone, excuse me, injury prone player too, and he got hit with the injury bug, and that was that. But Brunson, I don't want Brunson either. I mean, uh, yeah, again, slight A side, but Brunson is a player who is by far at his best on the ball. He uh, he's a player who does most of his damage by penetrating into the interior, attacking the basket, breaking down defenses, and making those passes. Uh, you know, that come of breaking down defenses. Uh, he's an up and down shooter. He does just he has like a twenty percent three point attempt rate, which is very low by any you know by any definition. So. Yes, the Mavericks have been winning lately with him, he and Luka together. That is not offense. Uh, Brunson is much better when he's is, is considerably better when he's away from Luka. Uh, the Mavericks have been winning on the basis of extremely strong defense. And even when it comes to defense, when Luka is playing without Brunson, the defense on the Mavs is way better. So you can't put Brunson next to Cade. I think it's just a really bad idea. Yeah, yeah, I'd subscribe to that line of thinking. I don't know... Uh... Do we want to do Halliburton? We think absolutely. we have time for Halliburton Sabonis. What do we want to do? <laughs> How do yeah, we absolutely. So I've, I've just got a yeah a couple more uh, that, that I'd like to go through. I think Halliburton was just a big thing in the NBA. Crazy. Yeah, as I said earlier, you know, it was, it was said by Woj that teams were just stunned that he was even available. I mean, Halliburton has grown in the sophomore season into a very good player. Uh, Tommy has always hated him, but uh, but the other two. <laughs> oh just gosh. Yeah, Tom, 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 Tommy was very big on Halliburton. Uh, he was he was upset when he drafted when we drafted Killian. Uh, what I will say about drafting Killian over Halliburton is that it's very unlikely that you draft Halliburton over Killian and still finish second worst in the league. And, st- you know, I'll take Killian and Halliburton, excuse me, Killian and Cade over Halliburton and, uh, you know, whoever else. Jalen Suggs. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, this, this is just without thinking, but that this was just an example of Sacramento's very straight line thinking like, okay, well, Fox and Halliburton played an overlapping style or something, and we want to trade for more positional versatility elsewhere and a better pairing. And I think it is a better pairing. Uh, this is just kind of shocking, and I think they probably could have done better than Sabonis. Um, yeah, they they probably should. This, yeah. this is going to be the argument that people make now. You know, everybody talks about, well, you don't want to draft uh, too many of one position because then you have a log jam and you kind of feel obligated. And maybe that is the case here because they had Davion Mitchell, they had Deere and Fox, and they had Tyrese Halliburton. And maybe there weren't enough minutes to go around. But I just I don't think you do this. I think you're still you should still uh, take the best player available. I think the Cavaliers did that when they drafted Garland when they already had Colin Sexton, and obviously that's working out very well for them. So I hope that this is not like an argument Ooh. that people well, make in the future. Well, there's also the fact that Sexton got injured and Garland was way better without him, like way better, yeah. and, and it's become yeah. So I mean, the, the two of them together were considerably less than the sum of their parts. Yeah. No. I mean, I mean, and Garland was pretty bad to start his NBA career. So I, I think people are uh, looking at Garland as like a, oh, was, a little bit bad. of hope for Killian Hayes. Yeah, he but, was bad. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I just hope that this isn't like something that people point to. That's all I would have to say about it. I cannot believe that Halliburton was available. You hear the com- – I mean, 
Sabonis is a good player, but you hear the comments that Halliburton makes. Like, he is just such a good person for an organization to have. Mm-hmm. Fans love him. The organ, Their locker room undoubtedly loved him. And he, he was like the one guy who was like, there was some quote and I'm paraphrasing. It's like, I'm not going to let the history of the Kings culture get to me. I'm not going to let that be us. And then the Kings trade him. He wanted yeah. to be the guy. It's just heartbreaking. Yeah. He wanted to be the guy who he wanted to go to Sacramento. He wanted to be the guy who yep. helped Sacramento return to respectability. And yeah. And they traded him. I think this is hilarious. I saw an image last night uh, in their first game, uh, the first game Sabanis played against the Timberwolves and they were at halftime, I believe. And of course, you know, they had the halftime guys, not of course, this is just how it is, uh, were in an area with fans behind them. And like the two most prominent signs said something like, welcome to hell, Sabonis, like <laughs> stuff like that. I mean, the fans are, of course, not happy. Uh, I do think that there'll be a better pairing than Fox. I don't think highly of Fox, just, just for the record, than Fox and Halliburton would have been. But it was just an utterly bizarre thing to do. And it was just the Kings. The Kings want to make the playoffs. They mm-hmm. were like the Pistons were. They just want to make the playoffs. And, But I don't think the Pistons could have beaten that offer realistically. No, Sabonis is, is substantially better than Grant, I'd say. Yeah. I don't um, think the Pistons were going to offer up both Grant and Bay. And who knows if the uh, if the Kings would have sprung for that, maybe. Yeah, uh, I, and, I would have done it. Well, and just to, just interject here too. I don't even know. Like clearly, Halliburton was available in the sense of the Kings were you know willing to part with him. But I don't know if he was available. Like they're like actively shopping him. It may very well be that the Pacers were like, uh, "Give us Tyrese," and the Kings just Kingsed, and they were like, "Okay." Um, so I don't know if he was available <laughs> in the traditional sense, right? But if he was, I don't see the Pistons beating out the majority of the league, you know, let alone just the Pacers with Sabonis. So that's yeah, probably that's a pipe dream. Um, and I don't know if there's anything more to be said about Halliburton. Is there, are there a few more trades you wanted to get to Mike or we, uh, just we two. Do this? and one of them is very short. So there's the CJ McCollum it. trade. Yeah. And this one is, this one is relevant because of uh, it completely destroyed Tommy's dreams. Uh, yep. So Tommy yeah. is, uh, is a huge fan of Anthony Simons. Uh, apparently the trailblazers are also, is after trading Norman Powell, uh, which was just a good trade for them to make. It was, Neil Oshley was a disaster. Trading Gary Trent Jr. for another guard was just the height of stupidity. But mm-hmm. so they traded away CJ McCollum. McCollum didn't have much trade value. Uh, he's a 30 year old, but two years left on a max contract that he doesn't deserve. Uh, he was never a particularly good guard, uh, a good, particularly good performer away from Willard, aside from like a few rare situations. And the Pelicans are desperate. Uh, Zion is, well, not only is Zion uh, always injured, but I mean, I think they consider him a real flight risk. And because a player can just take the qualifying offer in his, in his fifth year and then become an unrestricted free agent. So it, it's virtually unheard of. Greg Monroe was the last guy to do it, as far as I can remember, certainly the last prominent one. But that's a risk. So they acted to shore themselves up in that respect, give New Orleans a better, you know, a better roster and the ability to compete for the play on this season. And Basically, the reward for Portland was a conceivably decent pick in the lottery. And, um, geez, I'm completely forgetting what else they got. <laughs> uh, okay. Oh, they got, so, uh, Nick, well, they traded yeah, Nikhil, they got Josh Walker. Hart. Yeah, that's right. Josh Hart and Nikhil Alexander Walker. Yeah. Sorry, I, I, I was pointing out the list up here in front of me. And they, they then traded Nikhil Alexander Walker for a very small return to, uh, to the Jazz. And I was a little annoyed that the Pistons didn't get in on that, but they would have been that or Bagley based on what they could do to match salaries, most likely. I would take Bagley, I think. Uh, they probably could have made it work. 
uh, anyway, but, uh, and, you know, to trading away just Josh Jackson. Actually, I, I think might have been able to use an even smaller salary because Alexander Walker only earns like three and a half million this season. So that's a trade they could have made. They could have made that and the Bagley trade together. And I think Alexander Walker has some potential. So yeah. uh, I'm a little bit miffed that they didn't go after that, but maybe there's a factor I didn't know of. They could have saved Portland more money on this year's uh, on this year's payroll and thrown in a couple of second round picks instead of just one, but whatever, it didn't happen. So Portland just clearing cap space, getting a draft pick and and clearing the way for Simons. Uh, Simons obviously is not happening for Detroit now. You know, I, I get the feeling that Portland would max any offer sheet up to the maximum. And uh, yeah, and the, the Pelicans, meanwhile, I feel like have locked themselves into a roster that is second round ceiling. But who, yeah, I don't know if either of you guys really care about the Pelicans. Not too deeply. <laughs> Not too deeply. I mean, I think that probably playing at its best, uh, McCollum, Ingram, and Zion could be fun. Uh, we, we talked about that uh, when that trade actually happened. I thought it could be a fun team. Is it a team that's going to win a championship? You know, likely not. Uh, but I do see what inversely what Portland is doing. And I, and I like the trade for them. I, I, I thought it was a decent kind of sort of thing all around with Portland sort of edging it. But other than that, no strong feelings on it one way or another. Yeah, I mean, uh, for those of you listening to these episodes, again, we've we've always got uh, we always like to hear feedback whether on Twitter, on uh, we're all on the Detroit Pistons Discord. Uh, we always post these episodes on uh, the Detroit Pistons subreddit. If you guys want to hear more just around the NBA content, by all means, let us know, and we're happy to do it. We tend to just focus on the Pistons, but mm-hmm. but the rest of the NBA is absolutely interesting as well. We'll do so, whatever. Yeah, we'll do yeah. whatever. Uh, one more yeah, trade. Did, we got one more yeah, trade. One more trade. Absolutely. So uh, this last one is just a small one, and this is purely just for the edification of those who are confused about this. So there was talk that the Pistons had interest in Jalen Smith, and ultimately the Pacers just traded Torrey Craig for him, which is a nothing return. So here was the uh, the kind of lose-lose situation with respect to Jalen Smith. So the Suns turned down his 30-year option. So do you always, the teams decide upon uh, the options on first round picks a season before. So the Pistons picked up Killian Hayes, 2022, 2023 option, for example, uh, in this past off season. So if you turn down an option, you are, uh, you know, the team, which, uh, which has that player on this team, whether he's traded or not, is only able to offer a salary up to the amount of that option. So the maximum, any team which traded for Jalen Smith or the Suns, if they'd kept him, would have been able to offer him in free agency is 4.7 million. So let's say you trade for Jalen Smith and he plays well, another team just outbids you. And that's that, you know, and, and then he's gone. So you almost have to trade for him and hope that he pays poorly, plays poorly, but still want to keep him. So that's why the Pistons didn't trade for him. So, all right. Any other thoughts about uh, the NBA? There is one, uh, we usually do listener submitted questions here. Uh, there's one that I want to get to. I mean, this episode is growing long. This is one that I want to get to because it was submitted last week and we did not get to it. Uh, but any thoughts about uh, the trade deadline season first? Um, no, I think honestly, that was just about <laughs> the most in-depth that I think we could cover all those trades. So I've got, I don't know about Tommy, I've got nothing more to add. Um, I'm ready to jump into that question, I think. I just have one quick thing. We're not getting Simons. Even if we throw a bunch of money at him in free agency, Portland yeah. has cleared the cap space for him. The no, dream they didn't is need dead. the cap space. I mean, they didn't need the cap yeah, space. They have re- I mean, they have his bird rights. They, they cleared enough money that it's not going to be an issue. Yeah. So that dream is dead. That, that dream, dream is dead. dead. And I, I think they would max. Passion, Tommy, I appreciate your passion for it. It just, <laughs> yeah. that's, the, that's the trouble with falling in love with players that are not actually on your team. That's um, true. Most of the time, you don't end up with them on your team. Yeah, I mean, hire me, Weaver. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll have, I mean, we'll have these discussions, I'm sure, as, as we get into off-season content. 
about DeAndre Ayton and, and Miles Bridges. I know that many Pistons fans are fans of those two, but the fact is that those teams can just match any offer. And yeah, I agree that Portland would match any offer up to the max at this point. So, uh, so the uh, the one question we'll go over. Uh, so, does the Garland emergence for the Cavs provide you with any hope for Killian Hayes? No. No, and that's I, I'm sorry to <laughs> sorry to just jump in like that. I don't know if you guys could tell that I'm passionate on the topic, but Darius Garland and Killian Hayes are different players. They're different people. They're in different situations. They have different play styles, and these circumstances are not one for one. So just because one young guard who struggled is all of a sudden playing very very well, does not mean that our young guard who has struggled is all of a sudden going to start playing very, very well. That just that logic does not make sense. Um, what the Garland emergence tells us is that young guards can get better. It doesn't necessarily mean that ours is going to. 100%. I agree with you, Dante. Just because uh, Garland is the exception to the rule. He's not the rule. Uh, just because point. you play a lot of minutes in the NBA doesn't mean you're going to get better. Yep. What gives me a little bit of faith in Killian is his recent play. He's showing a little bit more. Uh, willingness to attack the basket and take contact that's a bigger deal to me than garland garland doesn't really do anything for me it's not i don't look at garland i'm like oh that's killian hayes right there it's just i think killian on his own is improving a little bit and he's been improving for a little while and it's finally starting to show in another a little bit a little bit yeah (laughs) a little bit he followed up uh, i don't want to play debbie downer here but he followed up that's I mean, what for Killian was a good showing, but for anybody else is pretty pedestrian, any any other uh, major rotation guard. Uh, but that performance against the Timberwolves, he followed that up with an absolute and utterly terrible stinker against uh, against the Mavericks, who actually have one of the best defenses in the league. Yeah. yeah he, had, he had six points, four fouls, two assists, and eight turnovers. I mean, he got murdered. So uh, my answer to the question, I agree with what both of you have said. Uh, with guards who start out this poorly, the odds are strongly against them making it. So they can make it. Garland is certainly an exception to the rule in starting out very poorly and turning into what looks like an all-star caliber guard. There are a couple of other factors. So uh, we harp often on athleticism. The fact is athleticism is a very helpful quality. And players, particularly, I would say particularly guards, where it's an, it's an especially important consideration for them to be quick, uh, you know, point guards in particular, I would say, uh, being uh, having the need to be able to reliably penetrate and break down defenses. Uh, you just, you got... F- and, and again, it's true for any position. If you if you have uh, below average athleticism, you've just got further to go to become an effective NBA player. Killian Hayes has relatively, as well, I don't need to say relatively, Killian Hayes has poor NBA athleticism. So he just naturally has further to go, whereas Garland is very quick, which is a great asset. Uh, maybe Killian has some things Garland doesn't in terms of his court vision, though, though Garland came in as a much better uh, handler of the ball in terms of just his ability to dribble with either hand correct me if i'm wrong uh so no i wouldn't say it particularly gives me hope only in the way that like sure this there it's like you think about the dumb and dumber line it's like so you're saying there's a chance yeah yeah that's basically what it does for me like because killian just where he is with all of the things he's bad at which is almost everything on offense he is he can't score from the perimeter he's bad at scoring from the interior he's not great at going left uh, he can't really break down defenses, or he really struggles to. And on defense, again, which I think he is highly overrated because he is he is a genuinely good defender against players who are too quick for him. But there are a lot of players at guard who are too quick for him. So uh, I hope he succeeds. I'm glad to see the incremental progress. Uh, I know the Pistons will give him, I'm very confident they'll give him at least another season. 
and uh, we'll see where things go. I don't think the book is closed on him yet. It's just been a distressing season for a former number seven overall pick. All right. Any final thoughts before we close? No, I think that covers it. Yeah, you're done. No, this was a pretty, I'd call this a substantially fulfilling episode for what was a pretty crazy trade deadline. Maybe not for us, but for the NBA, definitely. Uh, I think we covered everything. So I believe that that's going to do it. Uh, Quick reminder couple of housekeeping things. We're going to start doing this at the end of episodes now. Feel free to follow us on Twitter. It's at to the basket pod. You could join us in the Detroit Pistons Discord in the Detroit Pistons subreddit. And like Mike alluded to earlier in the episode, we're always open to feedback, suggestions. Uh, let us know what you thought of the episode. Please let us know if you liked the live ad read. I think the guys liked it. Um, pretty impressed with myself that I was able to rattle that off pretty honestly like you should consider a career in broadcasting if the whole lawyer thing uh, gets boring for you uh I I don't know I feel like I do enough speaking on a day-to-day basis to where it's like if I'm not good at it by now (laughs) you know that would be pretty alarming but yeah that's gonna do it so we hope you enjoyed the episode and we will see you in the next one